Thank y'all, everyone, the praise team. Thank y'all very, very, very much. Wasn't that a good song? And that's what Christmas is all about, just praising the name of the Lord our God. All right, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to look at, man, this verse right here is a happy, it starts off really happy, like a very happy verse. And in my opinion, it's kind of sad, um, but it's reality. This is how Jesus came. And he came this way so that he could be approached by all. Uh, if he was born in a palace, uh, an earthly kingdom, uh, maybe he could only be approached by you know, the rich, the wealthy, the, the important. Uh, but the way he came, uh, he came where shepherds could approach him. He came where the lowly could come and see him. He, he made it possible where anybody, no matter your status, uh, no, matter, no matter what, you could come to Jesus. And I, and I love this. Look at verse 7. And this is just describing the birth of Jesus Christ. And it says this, And she gave birth, talking about Mary, to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Now, to me, that's just happy. All right? You think about a little baby and wrapping him up really tight and, you know, he's just comfy, cozy. And, uh, but then this is where it kind of gets sad. You know, in our homes, we would go and lay the baby down and a nice crib, or on a nice mattress, or, but right here, they laid him in a manger, all right, and historians tell us this was probably a cave, and this manger uh, probably, I mean, it could have been made out of wood like our nativity scenes that we see a lot, but most historians say that this manger was made out of rock, uh, it was hewn out of the rock of the cave. And this is where uh, the cattle, this is where the animals would feed. And this is where they laid the Savior of the world, the Messiah, Christ, was laid in a place where uh, animals would feed, where their saliva would just come down. Uh, and, and in this stable, think about this, the disease uh, the smell of the stable with the, with the animal manure, just all the animal s sounds that were taking place. And again, you would think, man, shouldn't the king of the world have a better uh, hospital than this, have a better place of birth than this? And this is why he ended up where he ended up. Look at verse 7. They laid him in a manger. Why? Why? Because there was no place for them in the end. And I read that verse and I'm like, man, I don't want to be guilty. How many times have I been guilty of my own heart not having a place for Jesus? I don't want to be like the town of Bethlehem that didn't have a place for, for Jesus in the end. A, a nicer place. Um, and so this is why... I've, I've focused so much on these little objects because I want us to be intentional. I want us, our minds to be purposeful uh, this Christmas as we think about Jesus and just uh, how good he is and all his benefits. 
And I just want our affections. That Christmas that I was thinking about when I went through the whole Christmas day, my affections, like I said, we sung happy birthday to Jesus, but my affections just wasn't involved in it. I really wasn't. And it was because I was probably stressed out with with other things. I allowed the, you know, other things to overwhelm me. Uh, I was probably thinking about gifts and giving and receiving, just, you know, just all that stuff instead of putting the main, making the main thing uh, the main thing. Uh, Romans 12, 2 says this, uh, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so this morning, that's what I want us to do. I want us to uh, look at these different objects and uh, be transformed by the renewal of their mind. All right, skip over uh, same chapter uh, of Luke, chapter 2, and we're going to skip down to, let's skip down to verse uh, 10. And this is where the angels appeared to the shepherds. And we're just going to read, we'll start with verse 10 and we'll read uh, continuously, uh, probably till verse 20. Okay, so just follow along. And the angel said to them, talking about to the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And so when I read that, I think about, man, I want my confession. I want my my Christmas card. I want my Christmas carol this Christmas to be the same message that these angels delivered to the shepherds. I want it to be a message. I want my life to be a life of good news, of great joy that all that will be for all people. Verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this is what Christmas is all about. Actually, this is what Christianity is all about. The birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the coming back of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. And this will be a sign for you telling the shepherds, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Verse 13. And suddenly, when the angels told them that, there was an angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. Verse 15. And when the angels went away from them and to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. So when the angels told them what they would see, they left. And doggone it, can you believe it? They saw exactly what the angels told them they would see. And they were sitting there looking at the Savior of the world. And they told Mary and Joseph what had happened to them. And listen to this. Verse 18. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things. So she's sitting there and she's hearing the shepherds tell them what happened to them and what the angels told them that they would see. And Mary's sitting there holding the baby, treasuring all these things. And it says this, pondering them in her heart. Now that word ponder 
is a word picture where we get, it's a word picture of a cake, the word ponder. So here's Mary. She had, she, angels had appeared to her and told her she was going to have a child. They told her what the name the child, Jesus. They told her that the child would be the Messiah. And now the angels appeared to the shepherd and the shepherd's telling her all these things that uh, the angels told them. And she's sitting there treasuring all this stuff and pondering it. And it's the word picture where we get cake. And it's a picture of all the cake's ingredients in a bowl. And Mary is sitting there with all these ingredients and she's stirring them up. She's thinking about all the prophecies that have come to fulfillment so far in the birth of Jesus. Uh, she's thinking about just everything that she's experienced. And even the prophecy that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem and what it took for them to get there and how there was a census. And that's the only reason they went to Bethlehem and how God orchestrated all that. And she's sitting there stirring up, pondering. So this Christmas, I know we're going to eat some Christmas goodies. And as you bite into those Christmas goodies, I want, I want us to be like Mary right here. I want us to treasure uh, God and his word and treasure Christ and, and ponder and think about all the good things that God has done for us and ponder all the prophecies, you know, the hundreds of prophecies that have been fulfilled. And that's something that only God can do. I mean, the probability of one prophecy being fulfilled is, uh, you may say, oh, that was just luck. The probability of two, you're like, okay, maybe he's got really good luck. But as they go up, 3, 4, 5, 20, 30, 40, 100, you're like, okay, only God could bring these together. Only God could feel, fulfill these. So as you bite into some delicious Christmas goodies, just think about how good God is. I love uh, the verse, Proverbs 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who finds his refuge in him. Verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. I'm telling you, when, when we put Jesus first, we won't lack anything. Listen to this. And I think about uh, the song we just sung, Rowing Like a Lion. This verse has nothing to do with it, but just think about this. The young lions suffer want and hunger. So here's a little lion. He's over there suffering, and he's wanting, and he's hungry. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So this Christmas, I just want to encourage you, man, to seek the Lord. And when you seek the Lord, there is nothing you will lack. You will lack no, no good thing. All right. The second little object I want to bring your attention to is socks. All right. Uh, the purpose of socks. The purpose of socks are to cover our feet. All right, think about that. And socks prevent blisters. Uh, socks prevent the aroma of our sweaty feet uh, coming out quicker. <laughs> All right. Uh, socks also, um, the, uh, they protect from, uh, they absorb sweat. Um, socks have a lot of good usage, and we wear them uh, to maybe to serve as a shield from the elements like cold. They keep our feet uh, warm. 
so this Christmas, when you put on your socks, uh, I want you to think about this. They cover our feet, and I want you to think about how Jesus has covered us in his blood. I want you to think about how because he's covered us, it prevents us from being blistered. All right? Think about this, y'all. His blood, when we're covered in his blood, we don't get blistered from the consequences of sin. We're not blistered. I'm going to put it a little bit more clearly. We don't get blistered from the flames of hell. Um, Socks also shield, they cover our aroma. When, if God truly sees us for what we are, he sees us as sinners, wretched sinners. But when Jesus comes and lives inside of us, he covers the aroma of our sin and he sees us not for who we really are, but he sees us as he sees his son, perfect, full of righteousness. Colossians 2.6, whenever you put on your socks, this Christmas or any time, think about this verse. As you receive Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. See, our socks go wherever our feet go. Our socks is kind of like our identity. And wherever we go, if we're covered, then we're going to represent Jesus. And so Paul's telling the church of Colossae, hey, you receive Jesus as Christ as Lord, walk in him. Walk, walk that out as, as he's your Lord. I love this. That was in chapter 2, verse uh, chapter 3 says this. Put on then. Think about that. Put on your socks. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. What are we to put on? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Why do we sing songs at church? Well, we do it to worship. and uh, Do we do it just to take up time? No. The Bible tells us to. Singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So your socks serve as like a covering, just like Jesus covers us with His blood. I want you to think about this. There's a clock to put on your Jesus socks. Everybody's got a clock. Just picture your name and you got a clock. I went to a funeral yesterday. Uh, Zach Linebarger's mom passed away. And Zach Linebarger's mom had a, a clock under her name. And a few days ago, that clock came, her game clock came to zero, zero, zero. And Jesus called her home. And see, we don't know when our clock's going to end. We can't see our clock. See that game clock? We can't see it. We don't know how much time is left. And so we want to put on our Jesus socks. We want to put him on. We want to make sure 
we're saved. We want to make sure we've cried out to Him for forgiveness and salvation. Because if you have no socks, no, you won't have any fellowship in Jesus' flock. And y'all, we need each other. No socks, no fellowship in Jesus' flock. And see, Jesus is our shepherd. We're, we're sheep, we're blind. Uh, we don't really have a, a good defense. We're not very wise, we're not very smart. And so we need someone who's stronger than us. We need someone who's wiser than us. We need someone who's got way better direction than us. And that's Jesus Christ. And so, man, I want to invite you to open up your heart if you hadn't and make sure you receive Him as your Lord and Savior. I like what 1 John says in uh, first chapter. It says this, in, chapter, I mean, in verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness. That means no socks, no Jesus socks. You're walking in darkness. There's no way we can have, say we have fellowship and walk in darkness. And listen to this strong language. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light... As He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all of our sins. Chapter 2, same book. I like what chapter, I meant verse 6 says. Whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Basically, I'll paraphrase that verse. If you say you're saved, walk as Jesus walked. So this Christmas, as you're putting on your socks, or anytime you're putting on your socks, just say, God, help me to walk like you. Help me to walk in you. Help me to walk for you. Uh, help me to uh, just point people to you. I like this little jingle. Let the sock point you to the rock. So as you put your socks on, let it point you to the rock. All right, my next little thing is Cups. All right, we use cups to to drink out of. In Scripture, a cup is used as a metaphor, symbolized as God's judgment, as God's wrath. All right? Um, When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying, right before he was about to be arrested and taken away and beaten and flogged, scourged, hung upon a cross, uh, he was in this garden and he was praying. And the gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke describe what he prayed. And his prayer just asked God, he said, God, let this cup, if, if possible, if, if at all possible, God, let this cup pass from me. God, if, if it's possible, if I can save the world any other way, please don't let me drink this cup that you have poured up for me. Um... Is there another way? And he said, but, and he went on to pray this, but not my will, but yours will be done. If there's no other way, Jesus, God, I'll do it. And see, that cup that he was referring to was God's wrath. And God had poured out his wrath towards sin. His angry, 
destructive wrath was in a cup and he was about to pour it out on his son Jesus Christ right there on the cross and Jesus was going to drink it so we wouldn't have to drink it. All right, I want you to think about it like this. Everybody has a cup. You're here this morning, you got a cup. Actually, (laughs) everybody's got a cup and I hope Your first cup should be empty, and that's God's wrath, all right? But when we're born, we're born with a cup, and it's full of God's wrath, okay? And hopefully, you've come to a point in your life where you said, Jesus, I don't want this cup. I I heard through your word that you'll drink this cup for me if I'll let you. And so, you give your cup of God's wrath to Jesus And he drank it right there on the cross. But then God says, well, I still want you to have a cup. And so he gives you another cup. But this cup is full. And it's full of his blessings. It's full of his benefits. So here's here's where we're all at this morning. Some of us are here this morning and you got one cup and it's full. But it's full of something you don't want to drink. It's full of his wrath. It's full of his judgment for sin. And you don't want this cup. Actually, you don't have to drink this cup because Jesus has drank it for you. But you just have to give it to him. You have to recognize that. And this is what he'll do. You'll get to keep this cup, but it'll be empty. But he'll give you another cup and it'll be full. And it'll be full of his blessings, all right? You may say, where'd you get up? Did you just make this up? No, I'm going to prove it to you in Scripture. All right, 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says this, Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. So Jesus rescues us from the wrath. This cup is God's wrath. He rescues us uh, from this, okay? Um, John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So if you believe in the Son, you'll have eternal life. He'll give you the other cup full of his blessing. But if you don't believe in him, you'll keep this cup full of his wrath, and it'll remain on you. It'll, matter of fact, when your game clock goes out, it'll be poured out upon you, all right? But it don't have to be. Revelation 14, 9 through 11 says this. Then a third angel followed them shouting, anyone who worships the beast and his statue or accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand must drink the wine of God's anger. So basically, if... You're, you're not worshiping the one true living God and you're worshiping anything other. And right here in this context, the beast talking about Satan, you will drink the wine of God's anger. It has been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath and they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur. And this is describing hell. In the presence of the holy angels in the Lamb, The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. 
So this, this is, describes how hell is for eternity. You just won't burn up and be non-existent. Uh, you will be in torment forever and forever. And they will have no relief day or night, for they have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. So, will you let Jesus drink, your, drink the wrath of God? Have you let Jesus drink the wrath of God? So whenever you're drinking a cup, drinking from a cup, just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that I don't have to drink this wrath that you poured out for me. Uh, I find this interesting in some of my study. One of the ways Roman soldiers were punished, they couldn't be punished by crucifixion, but if they were, like if they committed a war crime or if they did something they weren't supposed to, uh, they would be severely punished. And one way that they were punished, uh, they would line them up. Let's just say there were 10 soldiers. They would line them up on a cliff and maybe the guy in charge, maybe they broke, the, uh, uh, broke a law of discipline or something. Um, and to teach them discipline, he would walk behind them. And he wouldn't push all of them off the cliff and kill them, but he would push like every three or four. And so they would just have to stand there and be still and just wait to see if it was their backs that would be pushed off to their death. Another way, they would line the Roman soldiers up that were guilty of a a war crime. And let's just say they had 10 of them. They would hand the the first cup would be full of poison. It would be full of something that if you drank it, it would kill you. And so a lot of times, maybe there was a soldier and maybe there was a father soldier and he was the first one in line and his son was on down the row. That first soldier, what he would do, he would drink the full cup so the rest of the soldiers wouldn't have to drink it. And he would be the only one to die. So when the cup would be passed, it would be empty and they would act like they would drink it. And if the first soldier chose to do that, they allowed him to do that. And so when I think about Jesus saying, let this cup pass from me, if he, the audience back then, when they heard that or when they read that, they would immediately go to these Roman soldiers who they were put to death that way, but some Roman soldiers would uh, drink the cup and wouldn't allow the other ones to, to drink it. And I read that and I was like, man, that is... That just intensifies the scripture and that just kind of brings it more to life. All right, last, last little um, object is, of course, uh, the Christmas tree. We're going to see a lot of Christmas trees. And whenever you see a Christmas tree this Christmas, I want you to think about uh, what 1 Peter 2.24 says. He's talking about Jesus and he says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. Um, One thought that I had was of Zacchaeus. 
And if you're familiar with the story of Zacchaeus, uh, Zacchaeus was small in stature and uh, Jesus was coming through by his way and he couldn't see him. So he climbed up into a sycamore tree so that he could get a better glimpse of Jesus and see him better. And I had that thought and I thought, you know what? Sometimes we need to climb the crucifixion tree so that we could be, get a better glimpse of what Jesus really went through when he was crucified. And the Gospels tell us that uh, he was flogged, he was scourged. And I don't know if you know what that meant. And the scripture really doesn't give us many details. It just says he was flogged. But to the audience back then, they knew what that was. Uh, it was where when Roman soldiers would take a whip and they would call it a cat and nine tails. Another nickname for this whip was called the scorpion. And it was uh, leather straps. And on this leather strap, you could probably equivalent to fish hooks being at the end. So can you imagine just sharp treble hooks being at the end and you being whipped uh, by pieces of metal and glass and big metal balls just hitting your skin and bruising you. And Jesus was whipped with this uh, cat of nine tails 39 times, 39 times by big, strong Roman soldiers. They said that they would have a team of Roman soldiers. So when one Roman soldier got, got so t- tired from whipping someone and they were, couldn't breathe no more because they were so tired of whipping, another one would step in full of strength, full of energy, and wear whoever they were scourging out. And Jesus is, picture this, being whipped, being scourged in his flesh. The Bible says this, he was whipped, he was scourged so bad that if you knew Jesus, if you were one of his disciples, and you was to walk upon him after he was flogged and scourged, the Bible says you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have recognized him. His face was torn up. His back was torn up. His whole body was torn up. And the way they did this, they would cuff you to a pole. And basically, this is how you would stand. You would stand just like this and maybe even bend over. And I know in some of the movies, they just show you being whipped in the back. But those Roman soldiers would circle him. And most people, historians say most people would not live through a scourge. Most people died from scourging. But we know that Jesus lived and he was told to carry his own cross. And those cross beams were 100 pounds. And so he was told to to walk this road. Probably historians believe, scholars believe it was between a half a mile to a mile. And it's called the Viva Della Rosa. And it's a small place, very crowded because it was during the Passover. So men, women, and children were at this marketplace, kind of like an outside shopping mall. Uh, Maybe like, um, (laughs) I would say like a jockey lot, but very confined, like just very small where it's packed and where you'd be kind of like Times Square when the balls drop. You're just walking around people like that. And here's Jesus Um, you know, humiliated, being beat to a bloody pulp and having to walk this road. And the reason they did that is they wanted people to see this is what would happen to you if you followed this man. This is what will happen to you. And so they wanted to instill fear into the audience. They wanted to instill fear into people 
That this is the death you will die if you follow Jesus. And you know the story. They hang him on a cross between two thieves. And while he was up there, right before he died, uh, he says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Mark 15, 36 says this. Someone ran. See, earlier they had a sponge and they tried to offer him something to drink. And I think it was myrrh and something else. But that was used as a narcotic back in the Bible days to uh, null pain. It's kind of like Tylenol today. All right? And Jesus refused it because he wanted, he didn't want anything to take away the full sacrifice. He didn't want any of the pain to be nulled at all uh, from any kind of narcotic, okay? And so now he, he cries out and says, I thirst. And this man comes and he runs and he fills this sponge up with sour wine and he puts it on a stick and he reaches out and puts it in his face. And he says this, mocking Jesus, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And the whole crucifixion with the Roman soldiers and the audience, it was just a mockery. But here's one thing I studied. I'm like, where did they get the sponge from? Why a sponge? What did they use a sponge for? And y'all, this, this right here is just so disgusting. Roman soldiers had what they called a field pack. And they would carry that field pack with them out in, in, in battle. And they would carry it around. And in that field pack, they had sponge. They had a sponge. And a sponge was used to clean wounds. Like if a Roman soldier was wounded, they would pour uh, that narcotic on it and they would cleanse that wound. But another way that the sponge was used and what the Roman soldiers used it for mostly, they used it as their toilet paper. And so they would have that sponge in their field pack and they would use that sponge basically like we use toilet paper today. So here's this man sees, has this sponge that was probably used as toilet paper, fills it with sour wine and sticks it into our Savior and our Lord's face. And that's just a picture. That's another picture of what our sin is like. And so as you look at a Christmas tree this Christmas, as great as the, the gifts will be under the tree, and I know as parents, y'all are going to give your kids great gifts. And, uh, you know, and we, and we enjoy doing that. I'm, I'm not saying we shouldn't do that at all. I'm going to do that. I love uh, giving my kids gifts. But as great as our gifts will be under the tree, the greatest gift is the one who died on the tree. And so whenever you see a Christmas tree this Christmas, I want you to thank God, you know, for the Christmas tree and what the lights represent, how it's the light of the world and the evergreen and how we are growing as Christians and how, how God is unchangeable like evergreens and the tinsel, how it represents the blood of Jesus uh, but I want you to think about the crucifixion tree. And here's something that <clears throat> we may need to do. Like I said, Zacchaeus climbed the tree so he could see Jesus better. It may do our hearts well to watch the passion of the Christ. 
I'm not sure if you've ever seen that movie, but I'll never forget the first time I saw that movie and I seen the physical torment that Jesus went through, through the flogging, through the crucifixion of the cross. And I remember leaving that movie theater in my mind, and this is what I I said to myself, I never want to sin again. I hate my sin. I see what my sin has done to Jesus Christ. Because when you say, oh, God loves you, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and that's true, but we've, we have said it so much, it really don't grab us. But if we really see what Jesus went to, through physically, man, I'm telling you, it'll change the way you look at it. And so this Christmas, every Christmas tree, thank God for the, fir- for the crucifixion tree. Think about this. The first Adam ate from a cursed tree. The second Adam died for the curse on a cursed tree. The first Adam passed down the curse to all. The second Adam, Jesus, died to take the curse for all who would repent and believe. The first Adam thought he would find freedom through the tree. But the second Adam, Jesus, gives freedom through death on a tree. And so this Christmas... When you get a card, ask yourself, what's, what's the message of my life? And if you don't like the message that you, you're living out, ask God to help you change. Ask God, say, God, I need your help. I don't like my life right now. I don't like the, the trajectory of it. I don't like what I've been doing. I need to get back into your word. My message needs to be, I'm a representative of Jesus Christ. It needs to be all about you. As you put on your socks, thank God for his covering. Thank you, God, for saving me from being blistered uh, from the consequences of sin. And as you put on your socks, say, Jesus, help me to walk as Jesus walked. And as you drink from that cup, God, thank you that I don't have to drink the wrath of God. God, Jesus, thank you for drinking the judgment for my sin for me. But God, thank you for the cup you have given me, full of your benefits, full of your blessings. My cup overflows from that. And then when you look at the tree, just think about the crucifixion. Think about his suffering. Think about uh, the greatest gift that will ever... The Bible says it's an indescribable gift. When you try to think about it, it's kind of indescribable. Why would he give us what we don't deserve? And he took what we deserve. That's indescribable. But that's how good God is. So I hope these little objects will help you train your mind. Uh, we were in Wendy's, and that's, this is one thing I'm trying to teach my kids, to train their mind to constantly think about Jesus. Uh, we were in Wendy's, and I'm going to close with this. Uh, and a song came on called Hey Delilah. I don't know if y'all have ever heard of it. Uh, hey Delilah. And it, it goes to the chorus, and it says, Oh, what you do to me? And I was like, man, I hadn't heard this song since I thought, uh, I looked it up. It came out in 2005. I thought it was high school, but it was college. And it's just got a good little jingle to it. And so we were getting in the car and I was like, man, I, I like that song. I'm going to look up the lyrics and make sure nothing was bad in it before I played it in the car. And so I looked it up and uh, there was nothing bad in the lyrics. It's just a good song about a man loving a, a woman. And um, so we listened to it, and uh, then we were on our way to Thanksgiving, 
And I pulled it up on my Apple iPhone again. And I told Amber, I was like, man, we listened to this song. And I was telling the kids, I was like, y'all, this is what I think about your mama. And uh, man, this is what she does to me. And uh, so we, I had them listen to it again. And uh, we were all about to pull into my parents' driveway. And Grant said, Daddy, uh, instead of saying, hey, Delilah, why don't we say, hey, Jesus? And I was like, man, that's good, Grant. Yeah, we could sing this song to Jesus. What you do to me? Oh, what you do to me? And man, think about what he does, what he has done for us. All right, let's pray. God, we love you. And God, we thank you for being our covering. We thank you for drinking the poison of our sin. God, we thank you for climbing the crucifixion tree and being the pavement for us. And God, this Christmas, Lord, help me not to be guilty of going through, getting sucked into, you know, just the busyness and forget about you and forget about how good you are. God, help me not to be guilty of that. Help me to be a, a father that, that teaches my kids to worship you and help us to train our minds with different little objects to think about you. God, I'm just like that hymn writer said, man, I'm prone to wonder. I'm prone to leave the God I love. And so, Lord, I need these little trinkets. I need little things just to, to remind me of your goodness. And God, the, the, the best one is the Bible. And so help us, give us a hunger and thirst for your word. Help us to treasure and ponder your scripture like Mary did. And God, just help us to be mindful of you and just shape and form our hearts where our life is all about you. And God, there's where our joy is. And uh, Lord, we love you. Thank you for adopting us. Thank you for calling us your children. And I pray if someone's here today that has a cup full of your wrath, full of your judgment, and they have not looked to you for salvation, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. I pray that they would turn to you and trust you with forgiveness, that they would cry out to you to forgive them of their sins, that they would believe in Jesus, they believe that you died on the cross for their sins, and they would confess you as their Lord, the boss of their life, and they would begin to walk uh, with you. And I pray and ask all these things in your name. Amen.